Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. We got a special guest edition today. This is a big one, too. Our friend Booger McFarland. Now, usually these conversations happen across a table that is loaded down with food because Booger likes to eat about as much as I do. And so, the la- Booger, the last time we did this, we, we were at Emeralds in, uh, in New Orleans, right? Yeah, Emeralds in New Orleans, and we were uh, just chopping it up over some some duck wings and some everything else, oh, man. Duck wings, I forgot about those. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, we 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 usually try to find the places where they will they will load you down. Uh, we did Mary Max Tea Room in uh, Atlanta one time, and I just remember that it looked like the table was about to tip over. There was so much stuff on it. So <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the way to do it. But I am very jealous of you. Booger, I haven't gotten to talk to you about this, but you are now the co-host of NFL Primetime, and it's on ESPN Plus, and you're with Chris Berman. So this is a show I watched, I'd probably say every Sunday for at least 10 years in a row when I was a kid. Was it, wow. was it something you watched when you were a kid, too? Of course. You know, I, I remember it came on, I think it came on right at 7.30. Right, as soon as the early game, or the, the, the middle of the day games ended before the night, the Sunday night game. When there was right, one. right, right, exactly. So as soon as that game ended, it would come on. So then you would turn over there and you would get all the highlights and, you know, TJ and Boomer doing highlights the only way Boomer does. And it, it was fun. But you got caught up on all the highlights. Plus, you got the analysis from TJ on, on the bigger games. And I, I think you and I were like a lot of people in America. We we fed off NFL primetime and we look forward to it. So when you're on there now, this is. Boomer's been doing this forever. Did he have a nickname for you when you played? When he re- when he did a highlight w- w- with one of your games and you got mentioned, did, was there a nickname for you? Because you go by a nickname normally. So could he add a th- another nickname to you? Well, I, first of all, I didn't get mentioned a whole lot. Nose tackles don't usually get mentioned a lot in, in highlights. So um, I don't think he did. But it, it's funny how, you know, even now when we do – NFL primetime. He's like, you know, slowly but surely, I'm gonna, I'm gonna incorporate Boomer and Booger, and it, I'm gonna figure out something where it's it's very unique. So, even though he didn't do it much during our highlights back when I played for Tampa and Indy, he's starting to incorporate some things in now as we do NFL primetime. And you know, I, I just try to stay out of the way, man. Like he and TJ built the factory for years; it was awesome. And you know, because of COVID and whatever else is going on, and, and TJ. You know, they asked me to step in and fill in, and I'm just trying to stay out of the way and let Boomer do do his deal. And as I tell people, whenever he gets tired of talking, I try to jump in and let him take a breath. <laughs> so with, with Booger, I, I'm curious, is there anyone in your life who calls you Anthony? Or was it just Philip Fulmer on your recruiting trip to Tennessee when he <laughs> thought he was going to make you a center? Oh, uh, you know what? No one calls me Anthony anymore, man. Like people who meet me for the first time, they call me Anthony. Other than that, no one uses that term um, or that name. It, it's, it's just been one of those things over the years, man, uh, that most people who know me call me Booger. It makes them feel comfortable, makes them makes them feel like we've known each other for years. And I, I think that's why uh, people can relate, especially people in the South, you know, because everybody in the South has a nickname, whether you like to tell people or not, everybody has one. So it's a uh, it's a term of endearment and people that I'm close to. Uh, no, not to call me Anthony. Well, it, it's funny because in the South, booger means many different things, not just mm-hmm. the one thing that a lot of people think it means. Because, like, my grandfather would always say, 
Well, that's a big booger right there. And he talk about he could be talking about anything. Usually he was talking about a watermelon, but he could have been talking about anything. So, but that's it's funny that and because I, I remember when when I first read about you when you when you were at LSU, I was like, oh yeah. I was like, I had a lot of, I know a lot of people who got nicknamed Booger by their grandparents. So yours, yours is the only one that stuck, I think, past, past elementary school though. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, early on, I tried to get rid of, it, you know, especially in high school. Cause you know, when you're growing up and you're younger, kids tease each other about the craziest things. So I used to get teased about that and I, I get it. I understand. And so when I went to LSU, I'm like, okay, um, I'm going to be able to kind of move past that and move on and, I'll never forget the first game we played at LSU, the um, announcement, the loudspeaker, I make a tackle, and he says, Booger McFarland. I just look up at the press box, not that I could see him, who it was specifically, but I just wanted to know how in the heck did they figure out my nickname, and I grew up three hours away. And and so at that point, that night in the middle of the game, I, I said, you know what, I'm not even going to fight anymore. And that was that was September of 1995, and I haven't – Thought about it since. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, that is. It's funny how people all when somebody has a nickname that that is what they go by. Everybody finds out before you have to tell them. It's like it's like Big Cat Brian. I don't think I knew what Big Cat Brian's real name was until he'd been at Auburn like three years. Wow. Yeah, I don't. You so. know, Big Cat is one of those guys who. You know, for me, I, I I didn't even know what his real name was. I, I, to me, to me, it was always Big Cat. It's it's Marcavius, apparently, but yeah, I I like Big Cat better. So if, if you want to call me Big Cat, you go right ahead. I mean, I'll I'll go it. And and then you got the 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 number one on the you know two hundred ninety five pound body. That's the way to do it. <laughs> hey, by the way, I understand why everyone wants to do it. But, you know, for someone like me, I- I'm trying to make the big man sexy. And all these guys taking the big man to single digits, like we are not sexy in single digits. We we do not look athletic in single digits. So I understand everybody wants that 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 aura of wearing a number one or a number zero. But, you know, for someone like me who's trying to make the big man on the cover of like Vogue or, or, or men's health <laughs> or something like GQ. Right. Like, like tell all these guys, man, stop wearing the single digits, man. They are killing me. It's, it's, it's like wearing horizontal stripes. It just makes you look fatter. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you always got to go. You always got to go vertical. And the cut is the most important. That's why over the years I've learned this. Anytime you, as a bigger guy, don't buy mm-hmm. your clothes from a big and tall store because no. big and tall stores always get the extra room clothes. So a 3X at the big and tall store is different than the 3X at, say, a Neiman Marcus. Like, it's totally different. Same size, but it's a different cut. Well, that's exactly right. Because And and the more fabric there is, the fatter you look. You and I have, have oh. experience dressing dressing as big guys. It, it needs to be comfortable. Like, you don't want it to be skin tight. You don't look like a sausage stuffed in there. But it needs to be as close to you as possible without being tight. Exactly. Or you're just gonna look fat. Exactly. Trust me. People would people would die if they understood the 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 quandaries that we go through trying to dress as big men. I I, I we could do an entire podcast episode on this, but I will I will give you the all you know the, the tip I give most people: stay away from the pleats. You I know you think the pleats make you look thinner or or make you more comfortable. They make you look worse. 
And besides, you look like the, you know, you look like a schlub in an 80s movie. So don't wear the pleats, flat front, and get the tr- get the as trim as you can go. And trust me, people are like, ooh, have you lost weight? No. I have clothes that fit now. Have, have you lost weight? I love it. That's that's the best one. No, I haven't lost any weight. I'm still the same size. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you're you're doing your buns of anarchy on uh, on Peloton all the time, and you, you see, that's the thing. You are not you're not as big as when you played, right? You're not even close. No, not even close. But the thing about it is, if I stop doing the buns of anarchy, I would I would easily get back there pretty quick. Okay, so what did you play at? Three ten. Three ten, and. And you're about six two, six one, six two, six, six one, on, six six one on a great day, and <laughs> I got a friend measuring. I was giving you a little like that's I, I'm I'm six two and three quarters, but I'll always say six three because right. I want I just got to give you that little extra. But but yeah, so a six one three ten is is a lot to carry. So oh, thank yeah. you, Andy. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, you carried it well, and I mean. And now you don't carry it anymore. Right. Hey, so I, I, I was the definition of fire hydrant. <laughs> but that's hard to block. That We'd have to bring <laughs> in my man, Sam Thompson from Coastal Carolina. I wrote about this guy. He's a 5'9", 290-pound center. He is always the low man. He's, he's a center? He's the center. The starting center at Coastal Carolina is 5'9", 290. And he goes to Zaxby's and eats the entire store pretty much every night. Oh my word! <laughs> you, there, there's a play in the Louisiana Lafayette game. You you would die. It's the first touchdown. He it's it's goal line. So you know how low those D linemen are getting. Like they're getting down. They might be in four point stances. They're 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 as low as they can get. He wipes out two of them because he got under one of them and drove him back into the other guy. Wow. I'm I'm just thinking how how do you. How do you put five nine and three three ten? Like that's that's um I don't know that's almost uncomfortable. It it's probably not super comfortable, but he moves well. He's and he's a, he's a natural knee bender. He says like his when everybody else takes a knee at practice, he just pops into a catcher squat. Which I, I'm a, I'm a natural waist bender. Like that sounds like the worst thing in the world to me. Like I, my knees would explode. So that he just may ha- he may be a little bit of a freak. We'll be right back with Booger McFarland after these words. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You have the best of both worlds. You are co-hosting NFL primetime, but you're also doing college football analysis for ESPN the rest of the week. And we just had a job opening at South Carolina Open. Uh, Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina is one of the guys that, that people have talked about. I think you said uh, you sounded the alarm for Hugh Freeze as soon as South Carolina fired Muschamp. You know, what, what do you think South Carolina needs in a head coach? Well... I think what they need is somebody that has realistic expectations. And realistically, South Carolina is not national championship material every year. What I would say realistic expectations are is they should be able to win eight games a year. And then every 
every three, four years, they can get to 10 and have a special year, maybe at 11, which will give you a chance to compete, uh, win the East and play for an SEC title, which opens more doors. So I, I think that's the real, realistic expectation. So how do you do that? I, I think you got to get somebody who understands that, number one, two, can recruit um, and, and, and build a, a culture that invites kids to want to come. That's fun. Um, because if, if you look at two ways to build, uh, actually three ways to build kind of a powerhouse, you look at what Ohio State's done. Ohio State basically turns success into being the dominant power in the area. Yeah, I know there's Notre Dame. And if, if Notre Dame's only recruiting a certain kind of kid, though. But if you're Ohio State, you're kind of the, kind of the king in that area up there where they can go in there and they can roll out the OHIO and then they can kind of get who they want, except if the, if the kid wants to go to Notre Dame. Then I think you go by the Nick Saban way, which you say, OK, listen, I'm, I'm breeding an NFL factory. And if you want to compete against the best every single day and you want to sharpen your sword, you come to Alabama because I'm going to play the best. I don't care whether you're a senior or freshman. If you're the best, you're going to play. And it's I'm going to scream and yell. And it, it's an NFL factory. Or you can do what Dabo did. Dabo makes it fun. So Dabo is, is the gosh, all shucks guy. It's going to be fun. We're going to win, but we're going to have fun. We got the putt-putt golf course. We got the slide. <laughs> Uh, but, but, but you still got to play against the five stars every day at practice. Correct. But it's it, it, it's basically the, the saving effect, but we're going to make it fun and family oriented. So those are the three ways that you can win. So now, which one does South Carolina fall in? Are, are, are they in an area where they can just roll out the USC and say, we're the big boys? No, because Clemson Definitely is there. Not. So I, I think you got to go the route of young, innovative fun, create the culture a la the way that Clemson has done. And then what you do is you you take the kid who says, okay, I want to play in the SEC instead of going to the ACC. And that's how you take the kid from Clemson and you bring him to South Carolina. So with that being said, I threw out Hugh Freeze because Hugh Freeze knows how to win in the conference. Hugh Freeze understands offensive football and he understands how to run a program, which is evident at Ole Miss and Liberty. Now, Hugh Freeze has baggage and – are, are Ray Tanner and, and the board willing to deal with the baggage? I don't know. That's a question for them. Better yet, I think Ray Tanner has to answer the question whether he's going to be there or not. Um, Correct. I, I think if you're looking for young, innovative, and can do the same thing that Hugh Freeze has done, he's just not done it on that level, I think you go with Billy Napier because you get everything that Hugh Freeze brings, but you get none of the baggage. And so if, if they if somebody in South Carolina called me and said, Booger, what's your opinion? I would tell them if you if you're not comfortable stomaching Hugh Freeze, then you go Billy Napier. And I think the challenge would be there for Billy because he'd be in the SEC and running his own program. But you would also get somebody who you've seen game plan against the big boys the way Louisiana has done the last couple of years. So that's kind of where I would go. Uh, hopefully they don't complicate this thing with the uh, and I saw they hired somebody a search firm or whatever that that's a waste of time. If the people that know and understand football know what they're looking for, you don't need to waste the two hundred and fifty grand on the search firm. You get your guy. You try to win football games and you try to win the program. You don't try to win the press conference. The other thing with Billy Napier is he was with Dabo at Clemson early on. He you know the, he and Dabo were there together under Tommy Bowden. Dabo ended up having to fire Billy Napier hired Chad Morris and that sort of changed 
everything for for both of those guys because Billy Napier went to to Nick Saban's school for wayward coaches after that, and then and then Dabo and Chad Morris kind of started building up to what they are now. But yeah, and and he would understand Dabo. He would understand the program that he runs up there. Uh, that's that's good knowledge to have if you're going to be coaching the rival. So that that would make sense to me. I the the one guy I think they should go after, and, and it's people in that state have told me he he might just he probably wouldn't be interested. But I think you, I think you got to at least ask. Is Tony Elliott? Why not try to take a piece of the magic from your rival? Because I think that guy would would grow up to be a really good head coach. Um. Yeah. Um. Here's the question, though. Are you at a point where you're willing to give Tony Elliott time to learn the job as far as ha- having to um, having, having to run a program in the SEC? And, and to my knowledge, help me out here. Tony Elliott's never been a head coach, correct? He's never been a head coach, but he is a coordinator. He's a play caller. And, and right. here's my thing. Look, here, this, is, this is my thing. Let's look at the last year's playoff. Now, I realize Ed Orgeron had been a head coach before, right. but he was hired – as LSU's head coach after being LSU's D-line coach. Ryan Day had never been a head coach, was hired to be Ohio State's head coach after being the offense coordinator. Uh, Lincoln Riley had never been a head coach. He was hired to be Oklahoma's head coach. I mean, you look at it, Kirby Smart, he's at Georgia, had never been a head coach before he was hired to be a head coach. There's a lot of really successful guys. Bob Stoops, if we want to go back, was was a coordinator before he was... So I don't know that you have to worry about learning on the job if you if you think you have a good, organized, smart guy who has a plan. Now, if if you interview Tony Elliott and he doesn't have the book and he doesn't have the plan, then no. But it's like Dabo when he was the receivers coach at Clemson, and we thought, oh, they're crazy. Why would they keep this this receivers coach they had doing the interim thing? Well, Dabo had the binder that he'd been putting together for twelve years at that point, or fifteen years at right. that point. So I mean, yeah, you may- I, I don't I don't disqualify a guy for not being a head coach. No, I I, I completely agree. Um, I think you got to get the you know, I'm not enamored with the whole play caller aspect as more as I, I I'm enamored with the program because well I, I I'm with you on that because what had Dabo ever called a play? No, correct. Has Ed Orgeron ever called a play? No, correct. You know, Nick Saban doesn't call them anymore. So you're right. Yeah, I, I think you got to get a guy that can that can that can build the program, that can handle the fan base, that can handle the alumni. You know, the big money people. He's got to be able to handle those. He's got to be able to understand what he wants. That way, when he talks to the AD, unequivocally, he says, "This is what I need. This is what I want." Because I think the biggest thing that 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 that, that some of these young coaches make is they want the job so much they have to kowtow to some of the some of the things that the, the school puts in place. Whereas if you remember years ago, when Nick took the job from Miami to Alabama, he told Mal, this is exactly what I want. I want it this way. I don't need you over here every day talking to me, telling me what I got to do. You hire me now. I'm running everything football related. Now, Mal had the foresight to trust Nick and, 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 and you know, so on and so forth. The rest is history. But, you know, sometimes you, you want a job so bad you know, you, you know, you, you're willing to to give in to some of the things that the university and the administration wants. So whoever South Carolina hires, I hope that they have the gall to say, this is what I want. This is how I'm going to build a program, which is why I would lean towards somebody that's built one before. That way, you mm-hmm. know exactly what you want. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because South Carolina, the, the history of South Carolina football 
not very illustrious really until the head ball coach shows up. So it's it's been a program that hasn't really achieved with the exception of that period where Steve Spurrier had a lot of success. So uh, it's it's a tough job, but Spurrier proved you can do it if you have the right guy. I, I, Correct. I got to ask you, I got to ask you this. We're going to stay in the SEC and one near and dear to your heart. Well, what the hell happened to LSU's defense? I realize they lost some talent, but what, what, how, how does it fall that far with you? The kind of players that they can replace those guys with. So I'm, I'm going to put it this way. It's, it, it, it's a great question. And I think I, I figured the answer out. Um, you lose five, four, four guys who are starting in the NF, four to five guys who are starting. Let's see, Patrick right. Green, Del Pitt, Jacob Phillips, who starting in Cleveland, um, um, Caleb Von Chase on. Uh, yep. he, he was start, he's starting in Jacksonville. So, so four starting, to five yep. guys, four to five guys left early who, were, who started for LSU who could have stayed now in the NFL. That's number one. Number two, you go from a 3 4 to a 4 3. And here's the biggest issue. When you change defenses, Andy, you have to rewire your brain to do everything different. And Ed, the biggest mistake I think Ed made is because Ed wanted to go from a four, from a three-four back to a four-three because that's what Ed grew up on. So when Dave Aranda was the defensive coordinator, Ed really he knew he knew the three-four, but he had to lean on Aranda because Aranda knew the three-four backwards and forwards. So now. The first opportunity Ed gets, Ed goes back to the 4-3 because now I know everything about the 4-3. I don't have to guess. I know how to run it. The problem is you didn't have a spring practice. You really didn't have much of a summer. And so now you you come into a season, you're changing defenses, you're playing a lot of young guys. And so the perfect storm, everything that you see LSU do on Saturdays, most teams would do that in the spring. Like they would blow those calls. They would get confused. They would... They would not, you know, be playing fast because their brain is still wired 3-4 Dave Aranda. So you're right. Yeah. LSU has athletes, but mentally they're thinking on the field and you have young guys and it's the perfect storm. Now, with all that being said, it's no excuses. I think Bo Pelini is a good coach. And I think Bo Pelini, eventually, they're going to get back to playing defense the way that we're accustomed to LSU's playing. It's just that the growing pains that normally take place in spring practice and a scrimmage they're taking place during the game for the entire country to see. Is is that kind of nationwide? Is that for a lot of defenses and, and I guess probably offenses that have new coaches too? Are we seeing a lot more thinking on the field than we would would normally? Um. Yeah, I think you, I think you could say that. I, I think that's not a that's not. I don't think you'd be wrong to say that. Um. I just think that overall, Andy, is that football, as we know it, and coaches are learning this on the job, you can't do as much as you used to do. So, you know, where you could go into a game and you could have a call sheet that had 20 calls on it defensively, now you probably need to go in there with about 10 and be really, really good at that because you didn't have I, – I guess I could put it this way. Think about it this way. Normally, by the time you get to a football season, you would have at, – at, at any one time – Let's say if you have 10 defenses, you've probably mm -hmm. repped those defenses 300 times a piece going back to spring, to walkthrough, to, to Zoom, to, to, to meetings. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you coaches got to a situation this year where they had probably only repped those probably 75. 
And it sounds yeah. like, oh, that's still plenty. But guess what? Think about the number of reps that have been missed. And football is muscle memory because once you do it so many times, what does it become? It becomes a habit. And those habits yeah. haven't been formed yet. And, and yes, I think that's nationwide. Well, and, and the point you made about LSU switching from a 3-4 to a 4-3, so people understand, like, you know, th there's a big difference between being a five-technique 3-4 end and a three-technique D-tackle in terms of what your, what your assignments are, what your job is. And you're right. It is a rewiring of the brain. And, and you, what you see, uh, what I've seen with LSU is, uh, you know, edge-setting problems, uh, you know, safeties getting down to the box when they need to stay – stay back. And it, it, you're right. It is stuff that probably with reps goes away. Do you think it'll get better as the season goes on? And it's weird because, you know, we haven't seen them play in a while. You know, the, the, this Saturday is going to be the first chance we've gotten to see them play in about three weeks. Yeah, I, honestly, I, I, Andy, I, I, I think it's got to get better. Hell, I can't get any worse. I mean, they, <laughs> exactly. if, 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 if you think about this, LSU lost to, uh, Auburn has talent. Uh, do they have as much as LSU? That's debatable. But uh, other than that, Mississippi State and Missouri are inferior to LSU in talent, and they lost to yeah. them mainly because their defense blew every cut, blew a ton of calls. I mean, Miles Brennan and, and the quarterbacks put up 30, 40 points. And, and, and as we all say, we got a group chat going. Anytime the offense scores 30, that's plenty, that's plenty enough to win in, on any level. And so yeah. it really comes down to, to the defense, and, and can they – can they get it fixed? I know one thing. Um, I'm excited to watch them play just because. Uh, I, I call down there and I give them my my two cents and I tell them that <laughs> they need to get it fixed. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I don't think LSU ever expected to compete and win championship this year, but I'm excited for the future. It's a lot of freshmen being played. Uh, TJ Finley, Max Johnson, whoever is going to be the quarterback, is probably going to be the quarterback this year and next year. Uh, I know the uh, Garrett Nussmeyer kids coming in, so you're going to have competition yep. there. I'm just excited to for where they're going to go with these young guys because usually you win championships when you have a, a class or a group of talent that's together at least two years. And so LSU has an opportunity now with all the young guys playing to have these guys together this year, next year, and then maybe even one after that before this group you know goes on to the NFL or whatever they're going to do. If you're not competing for the playoff this year, at this point with this season, you know, as wacky as it is and and games getting canceled and moved around, do you just go as young as you can and try to build for the future? Uh, anywhere, not just LSU. I think what you do is you play the guys that give you an opportunity. You play the, the young guys that give you a chance to be competitive and win, and you invest into them. Because if you're not going to win, why would I play the guy? Prime example, Miles Brennan. Miles Brennan probably is, is at this point, probably knows more and is more relaxed than a TJ Finley or a Max Johnson. But why are you playing Miles Brennan when he's not going to be your quarterback next year? Okay. Or, well, or he's, maybe and he's not 100%. So if, he, correct, yeah, if, he's, so if he's not, not 100%, don't risk further injury when you have these guys who can play. Play the young guys, build experience, and now your team is better off next year for it. We'll be right back with Booger McFarland from ESPN after this. How do you feel about the way this season has gone? Because I, I, I went, you know, during the months leading up to it from 
they can do it. Oh, I don't know if they're going to be able to have a season. Okay, maybe they can. Maybe they should push it to, all right, let, let's give it a shot. I, I'm, at this point, kind of surprised that it's gone as smoothly as it has, and it hasn't gone smoothly. But I didn't. there were times I didn't think they were going to play at all. I agree. However, um, I think the college football season was saved because of um, – three people uh, and, and those are the commissioner of the SEC, big 12 and the ACC. I, I think those people saved the football season as, as, as the PAC 10 or the PAC 12 and the big 12 were panicking, or excuse me, the, um, the, uh, big 10, yeah. big 10, big, big 10 were panicking. I think the, the stability that the three conferences provided saved college football. And, um, you know, I think we're going to get to the end. Um, I, I think, you know, there's going to be some, there's going to have to be some flexibility with the playoff committee based on, Hey, if, if, if the big 10, if Ohio state only plays six games, okay. Can I, can I judge them off of six? Yeah. You're going to have to, like, it shouldn't take seventh or seventh game to let you know that they're one of the best teams in the country. So we're going to take some flexibility. I think there's going to have to be some give and take a little bit, but eventually I think we're going to get there. So I'm going to get you out of here on this one, but the committee meets next week. Let's put you on the committee. Who's Booger McFarland's top four right now? Um, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame. And the, the Notre Dame thing, it, it, so if Notre Dame plays close and loses to, to Clemson in the ACC championship game, you think they still get in? Uh, if that's if if the loss to Clemson is their only loss, yes. That's that's the only one I'm wondering about. The other the other factor is let's say Notre Dame drops one or Notre Dame beats Clemson and knocks them out. The A and M thing is fascinating to me because if they keep winning, and Alabama were to win the SEC, it feels like there's a pretty good shot of A and M slipping in if if there's any argument at number four. So yes, and. I'll give you this one. Okay, flip it over. Let's just say Florida wins out. Florida okay. wins the Florida wins the SEC, and Florida beats Alabama. You got a one-loss Bama. Well, Florida and Bama are getting in. Yeah, that's the, that's what I thought too. Because A and M beat Florida, but Alabama beat A and M by more. And Correct. so, right, a ten and one Alabama that lost to Florida but beat A and M. If if Clemson or Notre Dame is out of it. I think you're right about that. Were you before? I know I promised getting you out on that one. One more. Were you surprised at how good Notre Dame was on both lines of scrimmage against Clemson? We knew they had a good offensive line, but it, it struck me that their defensive line is pretty darn good too. And I mean, they feel like they're the best team in the trenches that I've seen this season. The power of coaching. I think Notre Dame understood that their offensive line was really, really good. And their defensive line had to do what they do best, which is, yeah, we can play the power game, but let's play on edges. And, and you get, and you got to give a lot of credit to the coaching staff for getting those guys to play. Notre Dame's offensive line and defensive line are as good as anybody in the country. Where they have to get a little bit better is, um, you know, Ian Book, yeah, he, he's found Skoranek a little bit and, and they've opened the passing game up, but can they consistently – when they want to, not when they need to, but can they consistently, when they want to, throw the football down the field to somebody not named Skoranek? 
Uh, I think they can. I like the tight end. They call him Baby Gronk. I think that's Baby a Gronk. bit of a reach. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I, think, I think that's a bit of a reach right now, but he, he does show promise. But Notre Dame has also been told this, and Andy, never underestimate this. Nobody thinks you can. The last time you were in the playoff, you got embarrassed. The time before that, you kind of got embarrassed, okay? So nobody thinks you can play with this team. And so Brian Kelly, if he's smart, guess what he's told his team? Hey, man, hey, nobody believes in you. I don't care how many games we win. Until we beat this team, nobody's going to believe in us. And it's amazing when you deal with 17 to 21-year-old people and you get their mind set in and you get their mind transformed like that. It's a powerful thing. Whereas Dabo, Dabo can't say that. So Dabo's got to figure out a way to motivate his team every week. Hey, man, it's a big game. Okay, coach. We all, every game is a big game. <laughs> he's, he's, been, he's been trying to play up the nobody believes in us for years. Yeah. And it, it hasn't worked in years because everybody believes in them. Exactly. Everybody believes in Dabo. <laughs> well, Booger, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll be watching Saturdays during the, the, the games and Sundays on uh, NFL Primetime on ESPN+. Plus. Thank you. Anytime, buddy. 